0: Perspective is everything. Take yours truly, for example. I'm a little too chubby to be a triathlete. Right? So if you're a triathlon coach and I'm coming to your practice, you're like, "Mm, maybe not, but I am just right for a linebacker. Perspective is everything. Are you seeing me as a budding triathlete or are you seeing me as your starting inside linebacker. Perspective is everything. Again, taken from my own life, and I often say, just in case there's somebody new, and there's always somebody new here every week, um, I always talk about myself off the top, because God forbid I should use you as an example, right, in my sermons. That would get me more hate mail than I already get. I am too liberal for most conservatives, So when I end up interacting with somebody who is staunchly conservative, uh, there's often tension in the room because they find me too liberal. On the other hand, when I'm interacting with those who are resolutely liberal, they find me too conservative. So it sucks to be me right now. (laughs) No matter what context I find myself in, I am always out of sorts because depending on your perspective, I'm just not appropriate. I'm pretty Neanderthal for Guelph. I really am. Like, every time I go to the Guelph farmer's market, I feel like they're going to kick me out. You know, I don't look like those people. Did you know that there's a look to Guelph people? Maybe you don't know because you're Guelph people. There is a look to Guelph people. You're like, oh, and I'll probably see you at the farmer's market on Saturday morning. Those of you who know Guelph told me when we started going on Saturday mornings, like, whoa, you're really in for it. That's the Guelph of Guelph. So I don't really fit in there. I'm like, you know, I may be the only linebacker in the place, I'm just saying. I'm pretty Neanderthal for Guelph, but I am woke as heck for Burlington, just so you know. (laughs) All right, it all depends on your perspective. How do you see life? Do you see life exclusively from your own perspective? Or could, uh, you know, maybe we could uh, sneak a little uh, marginalized mom from Nazareth in there this Christmas. I uh, certainly hope that... uh, We can accomplish that. Let me uh, show you what I mean. This is out of Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. God bless Mary. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit rejoiceth in God my Savior. For he hath looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations shall call me blessed. For he who is mighty hath done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He hath brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent away empty. He hath helped his servant, Israel, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Somebody said. Sorry for all the halfs that showed up there. I uh, memorized that passage as I have memorized much of my Bible In the uh, New King James Version that I've been reading since I was 14. My soul doth magnify the Lord. Our passage this morning is Mary's reaction to uh, two incredible events that have just happened to her in her Christmas story. These events are recorded in Luke chapter 1 verses 26 through 38. In the first part of the passage, an angel appears. And tells her, in no uncertain terms, that she is pregnant with one who shall be called Messiah, God the Son. He orders her to name him Jesus. She's totally startled and freaked out by this. But nevertheless, this teenage mom has the fortitude to say, Let it be done to me as you have said. Remarkable. Incredible. And then this is followed up by her visit to her cousin Elizabeth. She's probably hiding the fact that she's pregnant because she knows that in Judaism. If they figure out she's pregnant before she's married, they're going to kill her. So she leaves her hometown in Nazareth to go be with her cousin Elizabeth. And this is a crazy story. The minute she shows up, (laughs) the baby within Elizabeth leaps for joy. This is John the Baptist, the greatest man not named Jesus who will ever live. He leaps for joy. Why? Because his cousin, the word, just showed up. And Elizabeth prophesies. i got to read it to you. It's just amazing. So the baby leaps, and Elizabeth can't help herself. And what does she say? When she heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Nobody texted Elizabeth in advance of this and said, Yo, I got knocked up by the Holy Ghost. He's going to be the Messiah. Roll out the red carpet. She walks up. Pow! John leaps for joy. Elizabeth starts to prophesy. And what we read this morning is Sweet Mary's reaction. I love it. Can I please point out to you, because I'm a Bible-preaching pastor who loves you, that her first response is to sing. Okay, you may not see it on our screen. It just looks like text. But when you read it in your Bible, it's rendered in verse. (laughs) She sings. If you want to shift your perspective this Christmas, learn to worship like Mary. And somebody said, learn to worship like Mary. And then speak for yourself. Look at verse 46. This is so good. Thank God I get to preach this sermon. When I finished this sermon, I was like, that's the best sermon I ever wrote. I always text Nikki that on Friday. (laughs) She's like, you say that every week. I'm like, I know. I know! (laughs) So great! And Mary said, look, she speaks for herself. She speaks for herself. You uh, may not routinely encounter angels or uh, prophetic cousins with uh, spirit-filled leaping babies, but I am pretty sure that you see and sense God at work all around you all the time. So what say you? Is it not true that you see the hand of God at work all around you all the time? Maybe not constantly, but all the time. What say you? The point is this, you can't ride anybody's coattails when it comes to faith. I can say every point again. I'm trying to learn to preach even faster than I already preach, while preaching slower. It's awesome to be me. You want to shift your perspective this Christmas speak for yourself like Mary if you're a feminist this is a great passage for you I'm a feminist you're like what yeah I am it's beautiful that a teenage girl who in her original culture would have been completely marginalized gets to speak for herself the pages of scripture record it and this wokish linebacker from Burlington gets to preach her words. Speak for yourself. And make sure that um, <clears throat> the zenith of your point of view is the right thing. Verse forty six and forty seven My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit rejoiceth in God my Savior. Let me point out here, because it's beautiful that Mary, this undereducated, marginalized, um, unwed teenage mom, has a healthier worldview than me. Mary makes much of God. Who's your apex? I'll tell you what, if you put Jesus at the peak Of your spiritual mountain, then all roads truly do lead to enlightenment. But look, if your life is fractured and unsatisfying, it's simply because there is something or someone other than Jesus at the peak. It really is that simple. Put God first. Here's a question. You know, if God doesn't exist, then why is the world full of people who are busy worshiping themselves because they don't believe in God? And if God does not exist, it would be consistent that their worship of self would be satisfying because there is no God at the root of the universe who is the true harbor of their soul's longing. So if he doesn't exist... Why are all these self-worshipping peers of yours so miserable all the time? I have an answer, and yes, I'm going to wrap it, because it's Christmas, and I did it last year, so I figured I'd do it again. One, two, one, two. All right, here we go. It's for my kids. Let me give these kids just a little help. Tell them money is not the key to wealth. Because if it could stop the pain, how the heck do you explain all these millionaires that killed themselves? I could keep going, but I won't because it's church. (laughs) Little Pete Rock and uh, John Bellion for you this morning. All right, you can fade it out. Like, Brian's keeping it going. He's like, he's going to wrap the rest of this sermon. I literally almost wrote the rest of the sermon as a rhyme, but I was like, that'd be a little over the top. (laughs) Is that all right? I was like, maybe I shouldn't do it. Maybe I freaked them out too much. like, our pastor can rap. Yeah, I can. It's evidence of a misspent youth. (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) Whoa, you want to shift your perspective this Christmas? Make much of God. Make much of God. So uh, help me out, Pastor Todd. Why is God worthy of that kind of primacy in my life? Because of who he is and what he's done. Consider verses 48 through 49. For he hath looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. He hath seen the humblest state of his servant. Humble in the original language is humiliation. Jesus saw her humiliation. God saw it. Why is God worthy of your devotion? If God exists and he sees me, I am very happy to focus my life on that kind of God. This always comes down to an either or. Either you believe the story or you don't. If you don't believe the story, you're like, who cares? The story is true, and if God exists and he really sees you, I'd give my life to that kind of God. What say you? He has set you up, if Mary's prophecy is true, for never-ending blessing. And why are you connected to Mary? Because of her son, Jesus, who has connected you to God's family. So he has set you up for never-ending blessing. A God that good, I'd give my life to. What say you? This is mind-blowing. He has connected his might in doing great things for you to your blessedness. What kind of God is this that would connect his might to your blessedness? This is a different kind of God who requires a different kind of devotion. I'll walk you through some of the devotional practices of some of the other great world religions. In Hinduism, one of the key devotional practices involves giving offerings to the gods. So daily, you make offerings to the gods. You also make cursory offerings to all beings. So you make offerings to the gods. There's 600,000 plus gods in Hinduism and to all beings. You offer water mixed with sesame seeds to the spirits of the dead. You're required to show hospitality and to regularly recite the Vedas. That's a, like a reduced version of devotional Hinduism. Buddhism is a little simpler. In terms of history, you got Hinduism comes first, then Buddhism comes after, so it is derivative to some degree. In Buddhism, you typically will light candles, burn incense... You'll offer flowers, food, fruit, water, or drinks. In Shintoism, no surprise, considering its origin geographically, you offer rice. Rice wine, also known as sake, rice cakes, fish, fowl, meat, seaweed, veggies, fruits, sweets, salt, water, and these offerings are all made to the kami of whatever place you happen to be in. The kami is the chief spirit of that place. So to place you in, if you're going to be staying there for a while, you make these offerings to the kami of that place. Taoism is a little simpler, which of course, again, is derivative because Taoism was a reaction to some of the complications found in Buddhism and Hinduism. So Taoism likes to simplify things. If you've seen the great wheel of Taoism with the yin and the yang, it's either or, real simple. Yes, no, go, stop. I like Taoism a lot. Fruit and flowers, that's it, you're good. In Islam... You're meant to uh, copy the prophet, peace be upon him. You're meant to practice the taqwa. The taqwa is an order of perfect righteousness. So you're meant to spend your days in Islam figuring out how to perfect the taqwa. How to be perfectly righteous. You must pray five times a day, etc., etc., etc. At this point, Islam is very, very similar to Judaism, because you guessed it, Islam came after Judaism, and it's very clear from reading the Quran that Muhammad was familiar with the teachings both of Judaism and Christianity, which is why there's such an interesting synthesis of those two faiths in Islam. Speaking of Judaism, in Judaism we have 613 laws encapsulated and interpreted for us today in the Talmud, which is comprised of the Mishnah and the Gemara. This series of books typically runs between 20 and 42 volumes. It's broken into six orders, 63 parts, 517 chapters, and tens and thousands of interpretations. It takes, with daily study, seven and a half years to read the Talmud front to back. It is such an undertaking that in Orthodox Judaism, they throw a party when you finish it. Enter Jesus. Verse 49, part B. Holy is his name. God the Son made flesh enters the scene. Why? To perfectly fulfill all the laws of God. To never sin once. To please his Father from the heart. And to go to Calvary's cross, where he would suffer and die in our place for our sin. For all the times that we did not live perfectly righteous lives, Jesus Christ paid the price. And he really died. Then he really rose, defeating once and for all bodily the powers of Satan, sin, death, and hell forever. He appeared to his friends, and right in front of their eyes ascended to his father's right hand where he sat down, where he sits even now interceding for you, meaning he's your cheering section. Who is the Christian God? He is Emmanuel, with us God, the God who comes near and does the redemptive work we all know we need, which is why there's so many religions in all the world. He does the redemptive work we all know we need, but which we could never accomplish ourselves. That is the real Jesus of Christmas, the once and final offering who turns everything on its head. How do I know? Because of verses 50 through 55. His mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich. He has sent the God who turns things on their head. He gives mercy to those who fear him, not to those who think they've earned it. If you ever find yourself as a Christian thinking you've earned anything, you're not thinking like a Christian. He scatters the proud and brings down the mighty, but he exalts those of humble estate. Is it any wonder that Christianity spread like wildfire through the lower castes of Roman society and had a very hard time infiltrating the ranks of high society in Rome. God help us, because last time I checked, we do not inhabit the lower ranks of Canadian society. You want to be great? Because the last shall be first and the first shall be last, in the words of Matthew twenty sixteen. If you want to be great, give your life away in Jesus' name. Why? Because he fills the hungry with good things, but sends the rich away empty. Have you ever seen more proof that the way of Jesus is right than in the exceedingly empty lives of our excessively wealthy Western society? You want to shift your perspective this Christmas. Start letting Jesus turn your life upside down. Uh, But Todd, that doesn't seem like a very good recipe for personal victory. It's not if the personal victory is personal, okay? It's not a good recipe if the victory depends on you, but... Merry Christmas! The victory does not depend on you. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. He has helped his servant Israel, a spiritual people into whom you've been adopted in Christ. Why? Because he remembers his mercy and because he said he would. Somebody ought to say hallelujah. When Abraham was 90, year, sorry, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, "I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and multiply you greatly." Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Avram, but your name shall be called Avraham, because I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. That's messianic. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an ever everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And why was God Abraham's friend? Because Abraham was the son of Terah, and God was the friend of Terah. And He was the friend of Nacho, His father. And He was the friend of Serug. And He was the friend of Reu, His father. And He was the friend of Peleg. And He was the friend of Ever. And He was the friend of Shelah. And He was the friend of Canaan. And He was the friend of Arphaxad, And He was the father, friend of Shem. And He was the friend of Noah, His father. And He was the friend of Lamech. And He was the friend of Methuselah, His father. And He was such good friends with Methuselah's father Enoch that He took him away and he was not found because God loved him so much. And He was also friends with Jared the father of Enoch, and with Mahalil, and with Canaan Sr., and with Enos, and with Seth. And you can be sure that he was friends with Adam because Adam was called the son of God. And he is your friend because that same lineage of friendship recorded in Luke chapter 3 descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through 52 other friends of God. And worship team, you better join me on stage because I am almost done. And you would know some of these 52 friends of God because they include guys like Boaz and Oved and Jesse and, of course, King David. But most of the rest of these dudes from the time of King David through to the time of Joseph where our story picks up, you have never heard of until Joseph the carpenter met Mary the teenager and God stepped in because he said he would because he wants to make friends with you. Did you know that you were involved in the lineage of Christ? Let that make your Christmas. You want to shift your perspective this Christmas? Worship like Mary did. Speak for yourself like Mary did. Make much of God like Mary did. Let Jesus turn your whole life upside down like Mary did. And bet your life on the fact that God will keep his word just like Mary who said, Holy is his word.